Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Wasn't that a great, good job, Pastor Jonathan, with announcements. You know, I was really tempted today. I promise you guys watching online, I was really tempted to wear a full white jumpsuit with the mask and preach from that. And I just, I ended up like, well, I couldn't find one to begin with. That was the problem. That and toilet paper has just been like, <laughs> it's crazy. Like how much... Do you expect to go to the bathroom in the next 48 hours? Like, that has been the funniest part of this whole process. You know, today's word uh, is, it's really crazy prophetically what God has been doing. Uh, Last week, I was in Mansfield celebrating our one-year anniversary. Can we give a hand for our Mansfield campus? Wow. And, uh, and of course, we had a a guest minister here at the Cedar Hill campus. And uh, and then today, all campuses are online together. But uh, last week, the word I kept getting from the Lord, I prepared it for a week or so. And and as I was standing there in Mansfield, I began to hear the Holy Spirit say, that this word is not just for Mansfield. This is for the entire church. In fact, this is going to be a timely word um, for what's going about to happen. And I was like, okay, Lord. Because we were planning to go into a new series starting today. And then, of course, you know, Wednesday night... Uh, when, um, when the local judges, the county judge, uh, said that no uh, gatherings more than 500, and then when, when President uh, Trump announced that you know, we were in a state of emergency uh, on Friday, I just was like, whoa, we can't do the new series that we were about to go into. And that's when the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to us, go back to what I gave you. So for Mansfield, guys, you may have heard some of this, but I'm telling you, it's a prophetic word for such a time as this. I've titled this today, The Words of Life. Would you say that with me, even at your house? The Words of Life. Our key scripture is found in John chapter 6 and verse 68. And uh, this is uh, Jesus and Peter having this engagement. John chapter 6 and verse 68. If you'll turn there. While you turn there, years ago I had this youth minister who began to have this vision about young people. And this youth minister came up with this slogan, just speak life. What they were dealing with is they found that young people were constantly back and forth criticizing, critiquing, trying to be funny, and back and forth. But what it was doing was destroying the power of God in their midst. And so our youth minister, I'm picking on him, of course, it was Pastor Jonathan Pena, uh, began to have this slogan, just speak life, just speak life. And so I have to remind him sometimes when he gets negative, hey, bro, you just need to speak life. But anyway, and so it's from that, I think, today that much of this message is coming from. Did you find John chapter 6 and verse 68? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. There's this moment that Jesus is engaging with his followers. A chunk of his followers were just following him because what they got from it. They couldn't wait to get a healing. They, they, they were trying to live their best life right now, and Jesus was able to give it to them. And then Jesus shifts and flips the script and starts talking things like, you're going to have to carry your cross. You know what, if you're really going to follow me, and he takes this crazy concept, and he throw, they understood it because they were Jews, that you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What he's talking about is you got to go all the way into God. And, uh, and, and they start looking at him like, I, we don't really want to do that. We just want the benefits without the difficulty of relationship. And when Jesus begins to tell them this, the Bible actually says in this chapter, John chapter 6, that they begin to walk away from him. And so in that moment, he turns to his 12 disciples, his 12, if you will, apostolic guys, and he says, will you leave me too? And that's when Peter has this epiphany. He says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. You alone have the words of life. What if, what if life, what if, what if life is less about circumstances dictating us which way we should go, and what if we're supposed to dictate life into circumstances? 
What, what if faith is supposed to direct your circumstances, not your circumstances directing your faith? What if life wasn't supposed to give you joy? What if you and I were supposed to infuse joy into life? And that's what Peter's saying. He's like, you got it. You, life is coming from you. It's exuding from you. You have the words of life. You are eternal life coming right. Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to get through this whole thing? And I, I want to point out a passage of scripture in the book of Acts today. And I want to study this for just a moment. That you and I, may we become, in this hour, this critical moment, carriers of the word of life. May you and I be those who bring life instead of those who bring death. Turn to the person next to you and say, speak life. Come on, say it in your living room, even if you're by yourself. Say, speak life. In Acts chapter 16, excuse me, 27, we'll look at this moment where literally God uses the Apostle Paul to save over 276 souls. Now, let me break, down, break the passage down for just a minute. It's in this moment in Paul's life, he has been doing, he's, he's, he's done three missionary journeys. He is the hero of the hour. He's planted churches. He's raised the dead. And in this moment, the Jewish leaders begin to hate him and decide to kill him. They, they planned a couple of assassination attempts that didn't get, they got foiled. They didn't get to accomplish it. And in one moment of trying to destroy the apostle Paul, and they're bringing false accusations because Paul was also a Roman citizen. And you got to understand, the, the Romans ruled the known world at the time. And so their governmental structure was in play. They allowed the Jews to have their little you know, side government thing happening as long as it didn't you know, conflict with what the Roman government wanted. And so in this moment, the Jews are trying to kill Paul, Paul off, and Paul appeals to Caesar. He says, as a Roman citizen, I have the right to, be ha to have a fair trial, and so I refuse this type of engagement where you got the little backwoods, you know, a little redneck kind of thing happening here. No, I appeal, appeal to a higher court. And so as a result, they said, well, then to Rome you will go. And so, so Paul goes as a prisoner on this journey to go to Rome to stand trial against the accusations that the Jews are bringing against him. So in this process, he's got to get on some ships. He's got to sail. I mean, it's not like the way we live. where We can jump on an airplane right now for like a hundred bucks and go anywhere. Anyway, but it wasn't something like that. They, he literally had to get on, uh, on ships. And unfortunately, this moment of travel is coming upon the winter season. And the winter season of traveling on the oceans is the most dangerous. It's when, in fact, they, they wouldn't travel from November to March. It was considered off limits. You're going to die. There's no way. You've got these winter storms that happen all throughout those oceanic ways there in, in, in ancient times. And so they wouldn't do it. And so they were probably somewhere close to September, which is getting close to dangerous times. And so they get on this ship, and there's, there's a bunch of souls on it. There's 270. 76 of them total. And so the Roman centurion who's in charge, working with the owner of the ship and the captain of the ship, they decide, you know what, let's try it. Let's risk it. Let's try to get there if we can. And if even if we get halfway there, we'll pull into a port and we'll just stay out the winter there for a couple months. And so in the process of that, Paul tells them, don't do it. We're going to die. Don't do it. It's going to be treacherous for all of us if we do that. And they don't listen to apostles. Why would you li listen to a guy who, who is in incarcerated, you know? And so this is the influence that he has, though. He's such a great leader. And he begins to tell them, don't do it, don't do it. But they say, you know what, we're going to do it anyway. So they get out into this oceanic uh, 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 journey, and they have a south wind at first, so they think it's going to be great. And then it shifts. And next thing they know, they find themselves in the middle of a winter 
hurricane dead moment of their lives. I mean, it's, and in fact, the Bible actually says to us in Acts chapter 27, it says, and when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, that we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Can you imagine? You've gone for many days without seeing any light. That's a storm. I mean, the sun, you can't see the sun, you can't see the stars at night because you are in the middle of a storm that has gone probably a week, two weeks. In fact, probably a good two weeks because uh, later Paul says you haven't eaten for two weeks. So they are throwing the tackle overboard to lighten the ship. They are, they are ripping the sails off and throwing them in the water just because it, it, that wind's catching it and blowing them all around. They're trying just to survive this thing. And it says, when they finally gave up hope of being saved, Look what happens in verse 21 of Acts chapter 7. If you don't mind, I'll read a couple passages here. Paul stood up before the men and said, men, you should have taken my advice. I like this guy. You know, hey, you should have listened to me, but you didn't, and not sail from Creek, and then you would have uh, spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am, And whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some, on some island. It's pitch black dark. I mean, they haven't, they're in death mode. They have given up surviving, all 276 of them. And the apostle Paul stands up in front of everyone. Can you imagine how discouraged they are? Can you imagine their cell phones aren't working? They've got zero reception. Watch yourself. I mean, they don't have any toilet paper. Come on now. They don't have any food. They are in full on, let's just die mode. No one can rescue us. We're going to die. And he stands up. And he says to them, take courage. He speaks life into them. He says, take courage. Because the God who I serve, whose I am, who I belong to, that God sent me a messenger last night. And he said that we will survive. Not only only will I live, but you will live because you are here with me. Because I have purpose to accomplish, and my purpose hasn't been accomplished. I have to go to Rome. And as a result, he's going to spare your life because you're on board with me. Can I tell you something? It's good to have purpose in your life for Jesus. It'll spare the lives of those around you at the same time. And Paul kind of has this whole process, and I want to point this out to you. Look how Paul saves their life. Number one, he spoke courage into them. He spoke courage into them. They had no courage. He spoke it into them. When are we going to start being the believers who speak courage into the scenarios around us that are full of death and destruction? He spoke it into them. You alone, Lord, have the words of life. Where else shall we go? As believers, we carry the message of the cross. We carry the message of hope that our Father has given us. And then the second thing that he did was he based that message of courage on a promise from God. See, if all you do is talk good stuff without basing it on any kind of major power, then all you are is a, is a, a, a promoter. What, what Paul did is said, listen, I can give you courage because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has made me a promise. Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in the word of God for the believer? Why are we not basing our courage on those promises? Because God will never fail. We sing about it. We talk about it. But sometimes we don't live it. We need to speak that into others. And so he says, so I'm going to give you courage. Take heart. Be courageous. God is not going to fail us. And then the last piece that he does, he says he bases it on a contingent that we're obedient. 
So listen, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, if you'll be obedient, then this will come to pass. All throughout scripture, we find that God gives us promises, but it's contingent on being obedient. You know that with your own children. Listen, I'm going to take you to the mall when you finish cleaning your room. Are we going to the mall? Did you finish cleaning your room? See, the promises are laid out for the obedient throughout scripture. And so you can't say, I don't understand why it's not working. Well, let's go back and see where you've been disobedient. If they'd have jumped off the ship, they would have drowned. Their lives would not have been saved. He told them, stay where you're at, and if you'll keep reading, actually tells them to eat. Had they not eaten, they may have passed out and, and lost control of, of their vital organs because they hadn't had food. But he told them, eat, and they did. They were obedient. So here's the three steps that we see Paul did. He spoke courage unto them. He based it on a promise from God, and it was all contingent on obedience. Seek anyone can report a problem, but real Christians speak life into the problem. Anybody can report. Anybody can talk about how this person shouldn't have done this and how they ought not be doing this and how I don't like this person and this ain't right and this ain't right. Listen, how long are we going to let that go on? At some point, we need to rise up and say, yeah, but God, and speak into that problem. Instead of letting the problem dominate and all of us just reporting, we need to start speaking into it. Speak life. Turn to the person next to you and say, speak life. I don't know about you, but I can remember the people over the years who have spoken life into me in the midst of my storms. I can remember them. I think about a man named Pastor Mike. When I was, I was flailing with this church, I didn't know if I wanted to do it. We didn't have a building. I didn't know if I wanted, I wanted to go back preaching. And I ended up in this, golf tour, this charity golf tournament. And they paired me with this other pastor. And he started asking me about Church on the Hill. I said, well, we don't have a building. We're meeting at a Methodist church. And I don't know. We're not growing. People aren't getting saved. And I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to not get people saved. And he looked at me. I'll never, I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, you know what you need to do? Go get a building. I was like, well, I've looked at all the buildings. He said, no, what you've done is you've looked at buildings that are really nice. You need to go get whatever you can. It doesn't matter how nasty or terrible it is. You need to make a baby step of faith and just go get a building. And when he spoke that into me, all of a sudden I got courageous. You can ask our elders. I began to say, let's go look at this building. I took them to warehouses that were horrible. And they were like, well, pastor, if you want to, we can do it. Something happened inside of me. And we're now standing in the miracle situation that God promised, all because someone spoke courage in my darkest hour. You are the speakers of courage in people's darkest, darkest hours. Are we going to trust what the government has to say to bring us courage? Are we going to trust what the medical personnel, they're doing their best, they're good people. But at the end of the day, we're standing on promises that our God will never leave us or forsake us, that pestilence will not destroy us. Speak life. Everybody say it. Speak life. So let me give you a couple truths about speaking life. Write these down. I don't care if you're in your living room, if you're in your bathroom on the throne. Write these down. Here we go. Number one truth about speaking life, and that is Satan is the great accuser. Satan's the great accuser. Jesus is the great intercessor. When you study throughout Scripture, you'll find even like if you'll study the book of Job, for example. The Bible says that God was standing there, and, and Satan came through, and God asked him, where have you been? I've been out messing with your people, basically, paraphrase. And he goes, well, have you considered Job? He won't, he won't bow away from me. He, he'll, he'll, he worships me in, in righteousness. And he goes, yeah, only because you protect him. Only because your hand is around him. Aren't you glad God protects us and his hand's around him? God says, no, 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 don't try to play that. Even if he went through turmoil and tragedy, he'd still worship me. And that's when Satan begins to accuse him. No, he only worships you because you bless him. Because you've given him health. You've made him prosperous. Take it away from him. He'll curse you to your face. God says, okay but you can't kill him. I'll let you attack him, but you can't kill him. 
And you go through the book of Job, and Job has these moments where he falters a little bit, and it's, but he never curses God. Never curses God. Satan is the great accuser. The Bible says that Jesus died, resurrected, ascended, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father doing what? Interceding for us, making intercession for us. So you need to understand this in your brain. You've got like the accuser, the prosecuting attorney, and then you've got the defense attorney, Jesus Christ. Satan, the prosecutor, she's a liar. She doesn't, she's not faithful to you, Father. I tell you right now, she will not follow all the way. He's going to go back to the drugs just like he did the last time. And Jesus, on the other hand, is standing there, and he's speaking life. No, Daddy, I promise you, they love you. And they may stumble and they may fall, but I promise you, they care. They really want to do right before you, God. The intercessor versus the accuser. Whose team are you going to be on? Speak life. See, when you begin to criticize everybody, when you begin to comment dumb stuff on social media, attacking, you become a part of the enemy's plan and not a part of the Lord's plan. Speak life. That's what we got to have in this hour. You still there? Say yes. In fact, do you know the original Hebrew term for Satan? The original Hebrew term Satan actually in its most purest form means accuser. His name's Satan, as we see in the Bible, the accuser. Here's the second truth I would teach you about speaking life, and that is Jesus constantly removed the credits from his midst. He constantly pulled them out. Jesus was on his way to accomplish something. He knew that he was going to be, the Bible says he knew that he was going to die. And in the midst of that process, Peter begins to run his stupid mouth. No, you cannot go to the cross. You're the Messiah. You're not going to die on a cross. And what does he tell him? Get behind me, Satan. Multiple times. When he went to heal the blind man, there was a crowd there. And they were full of negativity. And the Bible says, God, Jesus pulled him away from the crowd to heal him. Why? Because his eyes might have been broke, but his ears weren't. And he could hear all their negativity and all their doubt and unbelief. We understand very clearly as we study through scriptures, we see multiple times when prophets would clear the room of all the mourners. And when they were going to raise someone from the dead, clear the room. Because I can't have all of the accusers, all of that spirit of accusation and criticism in this room to do something supernatural. Listen to me. If you want to see the supernatural in your life, you need to remove all of the critics. You need to get it all out of your own heart, out of your own mind, out of your own mouth, out of your own home. You need to tell them, say, stop it. I'm not going to have it. One of the things we taught our kids from the very beginning. You will not talk bad about each other. We're just picking. No, you're not. No, you're not. This world is hard enough that when we come home, the McCains are not going to be at each other. You're not going to tell your sister, you're so stupid, I will knock you, I will bless you. You will not do that. That will not happen. This is going to be a place where where your brothers and sisters can feel peace and they can feel confidence. You will not talk evil about one another because that's what Satan does. Are you still there? Say yes. Here's the third truth that I would teach you about speaking life, and that is life. And death are in our, come on, we taught you that year after year, day after day. Life and death is in our tongues. If you want something to live, speak life. You want something to die, criticize it. In fact, I want to have fun for just a moment. I found this video footage from Ikea. You know Ikea, the store, the, the international chain, uh, uh, you know, store? Um, I found this footage in 2018. They started this anti-bullying campaign, and they did this little social um, <coughs> experiment where they took two plants, they put them in glass boxes, you know, gave them fresh air, the exact same treatment, except they recorded kids either speaking death to the plant or speaking life to the plant. 
and they played the death to one and the life to others. But I think it would be even better for you to watch the two-minute video from Ikea. Hopefully that plays all throughout all of our other venues. But play that for them for just a moment because this is great. brought them here to see the plant. I was like, a plant is getting bullied. Like, it's not normal. I think it's an excellent project. To have something tangible that they can actually physically be a part of is, I think, going to be very powerful. I started noticing that the one that was being bullied uh, started kind of to droop. While the plant that was being complimented, it was, it was flourishing and beautiful. It's raised the profile massively of different forms of bullying and the effects that bullying can have on people. It can definitely affect other people. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so, you know, some scientists say that's not an accurate, you know, uh, experiment. But nonetheless, you got to give credence to the fact that one of those plants looks like it was dying and the other one was coming to life just based on. And how funny is it? You're a good plant. You're, you're, we like you. You're a terrible plant. You should die. Well, it was. It was dying. I just think that we have to understand that God had already put this principle into place that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You and I need to continue to speak life. Everybody say it with me. Speak life. And here's the last thing that I would teach you about speaking life, and that is life comes from love. Life comes from love. You think about that. You might have the ugliest kid on the planet, but because you think they're beautiful and you love them so much, that kid thinks it's good looking. Because you love them. Because they're yours. <laughs> Everybody laughs here is going, oh, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. But it's true. These are true statements. See, life comes from love. If you don't love someone, it's hard for you to speak life to them. When you don't have a real love for somebody or for some group or for some type of individual, then it's hard for you to speak life. And that's why the starting point, that's why the Bible says love never fails. It says where there's prophecy, where there's all these miracles, that's all good, that's awesome, the Bible says, but love will never fail. 
And that's why the Bible constantly speaks about love. In fact, Jesus said, they'll know that you belong to me by the way you love one another. By the way you love one another. See, when you love something, you speak life to it. You bring life to it. You actually create life. I, 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 years ago, well, let me back up. I have a friend. His name is Corey Garrison, and I hope he gets to see this one day, uh, this video uh, of me speaking about him. And I love this man with all my heart. He has been just a lifesaver in the years past. But that wasn't always so. Uh, Corey was in my youth group back in Louisiana back in the day, and, uh, and, and he'll tell you, in those days, he was a punk. I mean, I could not stand this kid. He had some real issues, and his issues spilled out over into our leadership. Uh, he, he affected so many people because he was such a strong... He's that kid that if you're in the middle of worship and, and he does like this, then 200 kids around him, they did like that. If he did like this, like, this is terrible. And they, they all did like this. He was that kind of leader and still is today. Phenomenal man. But in those days, he wouldn't serve God. He was angry at life. And just and he, made, as a youth minister, he made my life a living Hades. I mean, I mean, we uh, more conflict. And I literally, and he'll tell you because I've told him this over and over, I would go to the senior pastor and say, I need to kick this kid out of the ministry. We need to excommunicate him right on down the road. He is the spawn of Satan, and he will end there anyway. So let's, let's, let's not let him influence anybody and take him with him. And the pastor constantly is like, no, we're not going to do that. You need to learn to have patience. You need to learn to love him. He cannot be loved. He's unlovable. I'm telling you, he is satanic. And the pastor like, no, you're the one with the problem. You need to learn to love. I'm like, I am not the one with the problem. Do you know what he's done? I'm listening out everything. And the pastor kept teaching me. He said, you need to learn to love. And so it started like this. Okay, Lord, here's how I'm going to learn to love. I'm going to start praying. And my prayers, like you would know, started like this. God exposed the satanic nature of this young man. Let everyone know that the pastor will finally change his mind. But I prayed every day, and it kind of softened. It went from that to, Lord, would you help this guy really get saved and move him to another church where he can find a better way of living? And then it shifted from there, oh, God, please save him. And then it moved on to there, oh, God, his life is valuable. Love started happening in my heart as I began to pray for him. And I'll never forget, one day I was, I was after one of the youth service, he was standing around with a couple of little dudes, you know, up to no good, making trouble in the neighborhood. That's literally what they were doing. And so I walked up behind him, and they didn't see me walking up, and I heard them say, yeah, man, tomorrow night we're going to go out and tag the such-and-such such building, the Walmart over in such-and-such. And they were talking about, you know, graffitiing, which obviously is illegal. And, uh, and so I stepped up, and they, and, they, and they didn't see me. They were like, dude, are you pretty good at graffiti? And they were like, oh. Well, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? And I said, listen, I heard what y'all said. Let me just say this. And I, looked, I leaned into Corey. I said, hey, bro, would you be willing to graffiti a particular building that I have here? He's like, what are you talking about? And we had this little youth facility where we had like the ping pong tables and the pool tables and a couple old video games. I said, I've got a whole wall that's just ugly and I was going to paint it, but how cool would it be? If you just like graffitied, I mean, you just made it cool. I said, now, now i got to be honest with you. You can't be putting any hidden F-bombs in there or something like that. I mean, like, you know, again, guys, you got to understand, this is early 90s. So I'm like, like, like you could put like the Holy Spirit, you know, stop if you love Jesus. You could graffiti something like that for me. And he's like, you'd let me do that? I was like, dude, not only I'll pay you. How much, how much would it cost you? He goes, you don't have to pay me. I said, dude, I will pay you. I said, no, and I'll pay for all the paint. He said, really? I said, yes. He said, okay, I'll be there tomorrow. Tom tomorrow? Because summer had just started. He goes, yeah, I'm out of school. I'll be there tomorrow. He said, we got to go buy this. I must have paid. I, we must have spent $300 worth of paint. That kid got there. I'd never seen him be on time for anything. He got there every morning at 8 a.m. 
and he would paint on that wall. And it was a big wall. He painted on that wall for five, six days. I would go check on him. It was awesome. I know why they do that, especially indoor. Because that, those fumes, <laughs> I would sit there like, I feel Jesus right now, bro. Paint some more. Spray some more. Woo! I mean, literally, it was, it was so amazing. By the end of that, we would sit and we would talk. And, and, and by the end of that time, he'd look me in the eye and he goes, I need Jesus, Pastor Adam. I said, I know you do, buddy. And, and I said, and I told him, I said, I'm sorry. Because I didn't believe in you in the past. And I spoke evil about you and to you. And, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And he goes, yeah. But I did evil. I said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. But that didn't warrant what I did. I didn't know how to speak life. Man, we got down on our knees. And that little area, we called it Liberty Alley. And we got down on our knees and asked Jesus into his life. Man, something shifted. He became one of my dearest friends. And, I mean, to this day, he will fight for me and I'd fight for him. I love that man. But it goes back to I did not have love for him, so I could not speak life. If you want to be able to be a person who speaks life, it starts with first learning to love. Now, wherever you're at, at home, you know, at Starbucks, wherever you're at right now, I want to minister to you. And so, in fact, those that are live with me, if you'd stand up. If you're in your living room, you can stand up. If you're in Walmart, you're probably already standing. But I just want to pray for you for just a moment. That we would be men and women who speak life. Our generation has to have it. That we would be, like Jesus was, a carrier of life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I live in hopes of always being a life giver. And I know when I'm not, and it, and it breaks my heart about my own self. So right there where you stand, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're in bed, then just bow your head, close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Do I bring life or do I take life? Does my tongue criticize or does it build up? Am I on the accuser side or am I on the intercessor side? We all have moments, I get it. But today's got to be a day of change. Our nation needs us to be carriers of hope. They need us to be courageous lovers of hurting people. Have you, have you been so critical to somebody you don't love? I understand that. Maybe you even hate them. Maybe you feel like you have reason to hate them. The Bible says that we don't. The Bible actually says, until we get to the place where we love our enemies then we really don't know the true nature of God. In fact, I tell people all the time, you only love God as much as you love your worst enemy. So let's make a shift today. Right where you stand, with your head bowed and your eye closed, or where you're sitting, would you ask the Lord to help you? Would you repent for not bringing life? Would you repent for being a criticizer, an accuser? Would you ask the Lord to help you love the unlovable and those that you've had frustration with? Father, we come before you as a church. As a body of believers, we need you, Daddy. Lord, we all have our, our fleshly sin nature side. And Lord, when somebody hurts me or my family, Lord, I want them to die. I really do. And I have to overcome that with real love. So Lord, you've got to start with our heart. Start with our heart. And then Lord, for some of us, speaking death is just a habit. We're, some of us, we're just critical thinkers. And so we're then critical speakers. And we don't realize that we're literally killing that plant. We're literally killing those around us. And Lord God, no one wants to be around us at some point because we are bring death instead of life. 
And Jesus, just like you would do, you would remove those guys who were critics. You'd get them out of the way because they would stand in the way of the supernatural. Lord, I don't want to be removed. I don't want to be moved off your team. I don't want to, I don't want to be pushed aside because I am constantly being critical instead of being an intercessory. And so, Jesus, we come before you as a church, and we ask you to help us shift us, change us. Lord God, give, change the old habits of, of, of speaking death that we may speak life, oh God. And may we, may we see so many come to know you as we love them and believe in them and speak life, even when we don't believe it in our heart, but we know it's true because you've given us a promise that, Lord God, that you would, that none should perish but all have eternal life and that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that you sent your only begotten Son, that we could come to you through him, through his death on the cross. So now as you stand there or sit there with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give a call. If you're watching this, engaging with us in this digital format, if you're away from God, I've been there. That is a miserable state. If you live in sin, guilt, and shame, you don't have to. We've all been there. Jesus paid the price so we didn't have to. In fact, the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you, forgive you, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Doesn't say you have to give money to the church to be forgiven. Doesn't say you have to, you have to go sign up for something to be forgiven. It just simply says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Because see, the concept is this. When you let Jesus be Lord of your life, confessing him and believing in him what happens is then his flow of life begins to flow through you and those old sin habits they lose their luster they just they're not as enjoyable anymore because now you have life of God flowing through you so if you've been away from the Lord you're not serving God I'd like to lead you in a prayer a prayer of repentance right now wherever you're at if that's you you just acknowledge it Lord that's me that's me I'm, I'm away from you but I want you in my life then I'd like to lead you in a prayer a prayer of dedication a prayer of confession a prayer of surrender. So right where you're at, I want you to repeat this after me out loud. It's critical that you speak out loud to actually tell your own heart and your own mind, I mean this. And so wherever you're at, I want you to pray this out loud with me and come to Christ through a prayer and a, and a dedication of your life. Here we go. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you. But I ask you now to forgive me and cleanse me. Let your life come inside of me. Push out all the darkness. Now, Jesus, I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit because I declare that you are my Lord. Thank you that my name is in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to pray for you, Father. Thank you for the men and women who made that, that dedication to you today. I pray right now. They would feel the peace that comes. The elephant's been, been taken out of the room. I thank you, Lord God, they don't have to beg or plead. You have forgiven them, and you have washed them clean by a way of their profession of faith in you. Now, Jesus, there are going to be moments, and I ask you to help them. There are going to be moments where they, where they hear that, that thought in their mind. Uh-huh. You didn't mean it. Look at you. You did it again. Look at you. You got drunk again. You cursed that person again. Lord, I pray that in those moments, that the faith that now is within them would rise up and they would hear themselves literally say, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven. And Lord, when they stumble and fall, they'll get up and say, you know what, Jesus, help me because I'm your son, I'm your daughter. And they'll never run away from you, Lord God, but they'll constantly run into your arms, the loving arms of a living Savior. Jesus, thank you for your kindness. And we praise you for what you've done in our life. 
And Lord, as we close this time together online, we declare that we will be those who speak life and bring life, especially in this season, in this moment of difficulty in our nation. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.